welcome back. It will come as a surprise to nobody that it's 2024. So welcome back from your Christmas. Hope you got everything you wanted. Welcome back from New Year. Hope you recovered. Welcome back to failed framework agreements, to McElroy meal culpas, to Tiger Woods with no clothing deal. And most of all, welcome back to the NCG Golf Podcast. And welcome back to Steve Carroll. Right, Steve? Yes, 2024 is here, is it not? Did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? I was meaning to ask you. Everything apart from some good health. So if I can have that back, or if I can unwrap feeling well again, that would be, that'd be very pleasant. Did you get uh, any golf gifts? I did, actually. Do, I, do you want me to go into what they are? I really do, yeah. Um, they will not be seen. on the, they're, they're the sort of golf gifts that are absolutely magnificent on Christmas Day, and then you realise that you won't employ them on a golf course until at least April at the earliest. Um, I received a pair of Adidas Superstar golf shoes. Wowzers. In it's white. Like, like a proper sort of useful golf present. Yeah, and I also have a Nike Air Jordan polo shirt. Not Tiger Goodness Woods, me. thankfully, well, but obviously Air, Air Jordan instead. So yeah, um, that was good. You didn't get a uh, potty putty then? No, I've received no useless golf things of any kind have you ever received a potty putty uh, i did get a <laughs> i did get a practice put thing at one point one of those things that you you know you sort of hit into the hole and it was supposed to magically shoot the ball back at you but it worked twice and then broke immediately you yeah, know this is one you, you specifically can do while you sat on the toilet i've i think i've had them given to me three times in my life my kids love them but anyway Let's not dwell on Christmas presents. It's all change here, isn't it, Steve? Well, it's not so much all change. I'm still your regular host, Tom Irwin, and Steve is, well, still Steve. Um, but we're now just one podcast. We've laid to rest the From the Club Out podcast. We've put the slam to bed, and we're entering a brave new world of one solitary, singular NCG golf podcast. And we're all very excited about it, aren't we, Steve? You can't hold back. The tides have changed, Tom. I'm very, I'm so excited that we've got a plan. So this is the first episode of season one. All proper podcasts have seasons, right? Uh, and it's going to be an absolute belter, jam-packed with chat about the big issues in golf. And today we're going to cover stuff that we think is going to be pertinent to you. So the cost of golf, um, a subject close to everybody's heart, the God-forbidden rain. And we've got a very, very, very special guest for you later on, a multiple major champion, no less. Um, someone I think that... Uh, we always like when he when he when he talks, um, and he's had some really interesting things to say about his role on Live without giving too much away, uh, and this year's major schedule. But much more of that later. Um, we're trying to uh, plan better this year, so we've got um, six episodes in season one. Um, each of these episodes, we'll see a couple of new regular features for you. Uh, they are hilariously named Readers Wines and rules corner all become clear and we will of course be debating the big issues of the day in club golf the matters closest to your heart and that those that affect the club golfer so today as i say i'm very sorry that we're going to discuss rain and money but it is january after all and we are supposed to be miserable but first of all like you i'm sure i can't wait to hear about steve carroll's christmas and let's face it steve what we all really want to know is how many times have you been to the course that cannot be named. Well, I'm going to keep this very, very brief because one, nobody wants to hear about my Christmas because it will depress them. 
um because i spent most of it laid up in bed i haven't been very well unfortunately um but i went to the course that can't be named which is close house in newcastle um i'd named it there you go ah uh, I went just the once, um, and it was um, Captain's Christmas Day. It was good, actually. First time I've been, right? So, I mean, obviously, I've got this fancy country membership, so I'm using it. Um, but for the first time there, I can play in competitions. I think this is like the second or third competition I've played in. So the Captain's Christmas Day is like an obvious thing. It's just like a, a Stableford, individual Stableford. The twist is that everybody had to bring a gift up to the value of £10. Right, like a Secret Santa. Like a Secret Santa, yeah. And then all of these things were like, all these gifts were like laid out on the top table. And then you essentially, you were called out in finishing order. So first ad, first pick, last ad, last pick. And then you basically had to go and pick a gift. What did you get? The world's tiniest violin, so you can play it when you're moaning about your man flu constantly. Yeah, well, yeah. I wish it. I wish it. I wish it had just been man flu, unfortunately, Tom. But we don't need to get into it. Um, I managed to pick out. Um, and you won't believe this, but this is absolutely true, right? So my mate up there, um, in heading on the wall, he picked out the gift I'd brought, which was. Um, I brought like a novelty Guinness hat and Guinness and I picked out the gift he'd bought like completely independently. So we basically sat next to each other as pals and we picked out each other's gifts. And my gift was um, a four pack of Blue Moon and some novelty golf markers. Basically booze is the, the common denominator, oh, yeah, here, isn't it? Booze was a common, booze was a common theme. <laughs> that sounds all right. Um, so there's been a bit going on, hasn't there? Not tons. What do you what are you making of this McElroy mere culpa? I mean, uh, I mean, he's kind of backed into a corner, really, a little bit. I think um, you know the. I mean, he was obviously a very strong advocate of the PGA Tour. He had some very very strong things to say about Liv. I mean, um, he was the kind of force rallying. Um, against Liv and the PIF partnership. And, you know, it appears that, that I mean, there has to be an accommodation between um, Liv and the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour. The, the three things can't exist separately. It's just killing golf, especially now John Rahm's move to Liv. That does feel to me to be a massive turning point in in Liv's future. So w- what's McElroy's position now? I suppose he's got to try and make the best of it. And that's why he's going on podcasts, being conciliatory about it. I mean, it feels to me like he's, I mean, I hope he's repaired the relationships that were that were strained as a result. There were some pretty high-profile ones, weren't there? I mean, there are some caveats. He's still angry about certain things. I don't think he's giving everyone sort of a free ride, is he? But, but like, what's he going to do? This thing's going to happen at some point. So he's going to have to get on board with it, isn't he? Well, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, he's... he's- just on a human interest level, it's been funny watching him manage a sort of pretty difficult personal scenario for himself. One thing I think has possibly got slightly lost in his latest comments is that he is now just a player. So some people are sort of interpreting it as a sort of direction of travel and McElroy speaks, therefore we're, we're, we're closer to a deal. But he's actually not He's not in the boardroom anymore. He's not um, in any way part of that dialogue. I sort of accept the fact he's never going to be just a player um, and he's an extremely influential one. Um, and any credible future, near future for tour golf requires Roy McIlroy. Um, but he is, he is now just expressing his sort of views, his personal views. Um, I think he's handled the whole sort of 
episode pretty well. I mean, he, he kind of went quiet on Liv, didn't he, for six or seven months once he stood down from his board responsibilities and once the kind of notion of a framework agreement was was floated, um, he was kind of back being pretty vocal about ball rollback. Um, but this was the first time we've sort of heard him um, speak at length about um, how he sees things playing out. Um, he's just so listenable, isn't he? That, that just incredibly listenable guy. The, the great thing for us as journalists, the great thing for the for the uh, watching public is he, he has always said what he thinks. Um, he, he's massively honest. He sort of gives you, um, you know, he doesn't hide. He doesn't obfuscate. He doesn't. He doesn't give you mealy mouth stuff in press conferences. He tells you what he thinks, and you know, like none of us have the same opinion about everything. For the, for all of our lives, things change over time, right? Um, the problem is when you're a public figure like that. Um, there's a record of what you said before. I think I I, I hope that um, I, one of my big fears with the live thing um, and how outspoken he was about it was that he was going to change the way that he viewed interviews and and speak in his mind, and which was one of which is one of the really refreshing things listening to him talk. Um, but he got burned so much that I thought, do you know what? I wouldn't begrudge you anything now if you basically just kept your own counsel and just gave two word press conferences but but it, it's not in his nature is it um it's not the person he is and i think we have to embrace that we don't all like there's a there's um there's this thing now in society at the moment isn't there that um to avoid offending people um and if you're offended we should be in some way like um sorrowful about that and try and make it better well we don't always have to agree it's exactly right, and he. I think. I think it's absolutely all power to him for uh, coming out with kind of revised views on pretty pragmatic views. Um, he said you can't change how people are, didn't he? It's like pretty um, kind of honest stuff. But he has always been like that to a degree. I and mean, this is the man who is kind of in tears coming off um, Ryder Cup singles matches now. Um, and this is the, the same person who twenty odd years ago said he thought it was nothing more than an exhibition. So we we have sort of seen him evolve, haven't we? Um, in public, um, and he's he's never been afraid to kind of alter his views and kind of front that up. Um, I think all credit to him. The other big change has been Tiger's clothesless, isn't he? Yes, He's been stripped bare, not for the first time in his career. And people are been, very excited about it, aren't they? There's been some incredible um, wailing about a sponsorship deal, hasn't there? Um, you would think that something absolutely seismic has happened and not just that two business entities have decided to part company after a long period of time. Yeah. I don't know. I can't decide what to think about it. I saw Corrigan getting very... The- you're getting wistful. I can see he's, for for those who can't see Tom, he's like placed his finger on his on a, on his cheek. He's looking studiously into the horizon. I mean, you, should, you, they, you're you're generally wistful about this, aren't you? There should be a rule against that. You can't, you've just sort of exposed me. That's very unfair. <laughs> um, I don't. I genuinely don't know what to think about it because on the one hand, it's just yeah, it's just clothes for cash, isn't it? And on the other hand, it's kind of like it is the whole thing is sort of pretty um, symbolic of an era of golf, which is now closed, isn't it? That's sort of what it feels like. Um, and so many of Tiger's sort of big moments have been linked to that sort of Nike deal, like his red shirt on Sunday, the ball falling into the hole when he chipped in at the Masters, um, his sort of stingers, this kind of thing. Like, And he, um, from a golf point of view, like the, the sort of Nike um, athletic apparel was kind of like a new era of kind of um 
uh, athletic golfers. And I don't know, there is, there is something about it that feels like it's a chapter closing. And bearing in mind, we were there at the start of this. Um, it's kind of, I don't know, for men of a certain age, I think it sort of feels reasonably meaningful. Um, it feels like he will now sort of turn up playing perhaps in a cardigan and slippers, which would be more befitting of his kind of, um, of his peers, should we say. My, my initial thought on um, seeing the much speculated news confirmed was to get straight on Nike's site to see if there was going to be a fire sale on Tiger Woods' clothing and shoes. <laughs> Ever the pragmatist. Wow. But the, the, um, uh, the, there's so much link to that sponsorship like a lot of the ads from the early days like loads of the tiger woods nike ads were like some of the coolest ads certainly in golf if not in sport like him chipping the ball on a driving range with McElroy, that kind of misjudged thing with his dad's voiceover um when he was kind of coming back from his personal hiatus um i don't know it's sort of it was more than a sponsorship for a lot of people um, be interesting to see what he does next. Apparently, there's an announcement coming like this week. The other interesting side of it, he, he, that he wasn't able to carry the hardware brand, like they couldn't get anywhere with it. Um, I can't even think how many years ago it is since they stopped, but it would have been kind of 16, 17, like f- five or six years ago. I'm mean, allowed um, to say this without getting into trouble. That's because they didn't make great hardware. Oh, come on. Some of it was mega. In fact, I yes. think. It, Did you? Least... I, had a, I had a square driver, right? I got sucked in. I had a square driver. What a piece of crap that was. Yeah, I mean, we've all kissed a few frogs along the way, but they they, they had some successes. Um, I had the red-headed driver, which was like unbelievably spinny, but it did go straight, and the stuff looked cool. Um, I also had the kind of chunky irons for a bit, um, and I thought actually just towards the end, they were getting somewhere from, the, from a quality point of view in the gear that they were making. But it is incredible that with all of that Tiger Woods-based momentum that they weren't able to make hardware stick, and it just shows you a little bit about... Um, golf certainly at the time and how resistant to change it is we like we like our brands don't we and we're kind of very suspicious of new new players entering the market i don't know i mean i i I take the point latterly i mean the vapor irons were pretty good yeah um and and probably could have been a a sort of springboard for better things but I'm, i'm not necessarily sure that i didn't buy nike golf equipment because um i'd rather have had and other brand here i I, di- I didn't buy it because i tried bits of it in the past and i didn't get along with it very well um and i think that you know i have i have very clear i'm not sure i can say it on the podcast but i have very clear bias against equipment certain equipment companies because in the past i've just not got on with their stuff and i sort of think if you try two or three pieces of equipment and they don't suit you it's a pretty clear indication that you're not, you know, it's not right for you. And that that was how I felt about Nike hardware. I mean, obviously, I love the clothing. I wear Nike shoes all the but time. But I think the subconscious bias that you're not recognizing is that because you're a kind of dyed-in-the-wool golfer, you like your golf brands to be dyed-in-the-wool golf as well. Mm, I, so I you, like your, you like your pings and your Callaways and your tailor-mades because they make golf equipment and that's what they do. And I think if when you deviate from the norm you pick something up and it doesn't work out it's very easy to go oh this is not working because it's not proper i think i'll get back on back in my golf brands yeah you can you can get off freud's couch now you've got that one completely wrong um that's <laughs> what people are in here for steve a bit of insight <laughs> uh, but anyway this brings me neatly on to our new feature Reader's Wines. Reader's Wines will see us take a look below the line on social media. Do you know what that means? Below the line? I hope you know what you mean. 
Does it mean you've read the comments? It means you've read the comments. Yeah, Dan always refers to it as below the line. I'm not sure if it's actually a thing anyway. Anyway, what I mean is the bit where people say stuff that they wouldn't say to your face, the bit where they literally moan about everything with 100% certainty. I always find it very reassuring. If you go onto a topic that you do know something about and then you read the comments and they're not what you think, it, it kind of is reassuring that when you are reading a topic that you don't know something about, it's best to ignore the comments because nobody in the comments has got a freaking clue what they're on about. Um, Reader's Wines is supposed to be a pun, a smutty pun on Reader's Wives. And if you know what that means, then you should be ashamed of yourself. Anyway, I thought we could segue neatly into this week's Reader's Wines, which is Golf Gear Grumbles. Um, I sort of had to give it to this this week because almost everyone on the internet is moaning about A, yet more new drivers, claiming to be longer and straighter than the last one, not to mention being too expensive. The top brands are in coming in at about £550 for the latest driver. People say things like, it's no different to last year. How can they be longer? What a waste of money. Spend it on lessons. And we get this every year. And this, this year, there's an awful lot of new gear out. We've had uh, driver launches from Callaway with their smoke. We've had um, driver launches from uh, TaylorMade with QI10 and Ping have brought out a 10K version of their G425. And that's just for starters. There's there's more coming. Um, I think it's an interesting thing because we don't have to buy this stuff, do we? Yet it really does trigger people when it comes out. I don't know, what, what do you make of it? Will you be thumbing through the virtual pages of gear reviews and trying to find the driver that's going to change your game? Or are you a cynic like everyone else on Planet Facebook? I will not be rushing out to buy new equipment if if companies want to give me some new equipment um i'll quite happily try it out for them but no i will not be buying it and that's not because um i am cynical about new equipment or cynical about the um performance criteria it promises to provide it's mainly because i got a new driver last year it works really really well it's worked better than it has for some time. And I'm in the, I'm very much at the moment in the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it camp. Yeah. Well, that is a big thing, isn't it? So why do you think people get so cross? Well, I mean, this is a very, very complex subject, um, which we could, we could spend an entire podcast talking about. Some of it is, some of it is due to mistrust in media. Um, some of it is, is due to mistrust in marketing. Some of it is just people like to moan um, on social media, and this is a, an obvious um, an obvious way to do it. Some of it is justified. The price of golf equipment is of new golf equipment is very very high, um, and is getting higher all the time. I mean, it's not very long ago, um, not that long ago now that I remember. I mean, twenty sixteen. I bought the TaylorMade. I bought the TaylorMade. Uh, driver in 2016 i bought it the day before i went i bought it the day i went to royal troon um and i bought it for 299 that was a current driver um you can't buy a. I mean i don't even think you can buy last year's driver for 299 it's eight years ago the price of drivers has nearly doubled right inflation cost of living (laughs) research and development technology blah 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 but i mean it is a fact of life that the golf that the price of golf equipment is massively massively high at the moment sorry that was very trumpian of you you can't just blah 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 off the other side of the argument like if you're talking about something being 299 eight years ago on a compound interest basis it probably is about where we are isn't it i don't know i'll have to um 
Get your calculator I'd have to out. Do, yeah, I'd have to do the actual, but I'm not sure inflation's risen 100% in eight years, is it? Uh, well, I think it probably would have done, yeah, by the time you've added 5 and 6% on every year on a compound. It wasn't, basis, it wasn't, wasn't, five, or six, wasn't 5 or 6% every year, though. It was 10% last year and then 2% in the years previously. Okay, let's not, let's not get bogged down in the maths of it. The whole thing reminds me of that Ricky Gervais joke about um, people getting cross when they see a guitar lessons advertised in a post office window like you don't ring the person up and say but i don't want to buy guitar lessons yeah and it's, I mean, is it not the same for golf lessons golf yeah, equipment yeah, i mean you make a very very strong point earlier which is the rage is false um in in the sense that you don't have to buy it um and and that for me would be the the, the, the real clinching thing because there must be enough people willing to buy the product to carry the price year on year and to carry the new development and to carry the new product launches year on year because if if people weren't buying them and you can talk about the reasons behind that marketing etc etc um you know are people influenced blah 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 but if people weren't buying it they wouldn't be selling it yeah i guess it's just resentment isn't it people think well i can't afford that or i've already just i've just bought the last one last year and it's annoying there's now a new one so i haven't got the most current thing um but you don't have to buy it you can go and try it yourself and see if it is going to um, be worth the money and it is going to improve your golf to that extent and then you can make your own mind up the cheaper market tom is becoming a big thing though isn't it i mean you've got if you look on facebook there's a there's a company out there at the moment who are trumping their irons specifically against a very very high brand model and claiming that they're a third of the price with the same performance pxg have have um have come through haven't they in the last couple of years with a budget model of the, of of their golf of their golf stuff so there is you know it's not like um you just have to say oh i can only go and buy the callaway irons or whatever and that's it i mean the the there is starting to become much more choice at different price points, isn't there? There is, yeah. Um, again, but I mean, to me, like PXG is kind of, it's almost in that sort of Nike thing, isn't it? Where people, there's a lot of buying for that brand, but is it getting the cut through alongside the Callaways, the TaylorMades and the Pings and the sort of established golf brands? I'm not sure. I am seeing quite a lot of PXG in people's, in club players' bags now. Um, yeah. Much more than I used to. And I think partly that's because some of their drivers now that they've got a particular driver haven't they, that i think is around 300 quid for example yeah. so I, mean, I do think that is opening up a club market for them i mean you never saw pxg three or four years ago in a club players bag and you know unless they'd been fitted they started off at an incredibly high price point and that was their thing wasn't it that they were kind of um like almost sort of money can't buy stuff so there was definitely a status thing attached to it and it's quite smart that they've now sort of they've got a dumbed down model which is within more people's reach and um, people are happy to have it in their bags for that reason um so it's a new year then but it's the same old grumbles isn't it equipment season is back rory's fallen on his sword tiger's got some emperor's new clothes but the rest of it sort of does feel a bit on hold to me like not a lot's happened it's a, a long time i think in since that John Rahm move. We haven't had uh, any progress on the framework agreement. The season sort of yet to get underway in earnest. It's almost like we're stuck in a rain delay, isn't it, Steve? Which is apt because we kind of are. It has been biblical, hasn't it? Nice link. That's good, wasn't it? I enjoyed enjoyed that. Look at us. Look at us, listeners. We're getting professional. So go on, then. Tell us about the rain. We've got to start. We have to talk about the weather because it has been so wet like just ridiculous and i think the worst thing is it's not just last month is it it's like 
the, the courses were already wet. We had like record levels of rainfall in uh, 2023. Um, I grew up on a farm. My dad was a farmer and I'm sort of well into, well in tune with the levels of water tables and saturation that soil will take. So we were kind of like already in record breaking levels of moisture. Um, and we've written quite a bit about it. You've been out and about speaking to club managers and course managers to see what the numbers are and what the effect is on golf clubs. Um, and it's it's not pretty, is it? It is not pretty. Um, so since the end of September, we've had seven different storms, all named with um, very interesting titles like Henk. Is that Garrett, right? No, is that true? Yeah. Do you, do you, I mean, oh, one of the silly things that I've learned in, in trying to figure out how much rain there's been over the past three months is that the Met Office names storms in advance. What? They name storms in advance. Well, so like um, they say Storm Henk is coming. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Storm Hank has already been set aside for a name months previously. Can you just Anyways, read out the names of the storms, please? Or not all seven, I can't. Well, um, give us a flavour. But I've had, I mean, the four I can give you are Hank, Garrett, Elin, and Fergus. So what we can uh, infer from that is that the people who are naming live teams are not in the same office as the people naming storms, are they? No. There's not so a lot of crossover, is there? So we've had we've had seven different storms since the end of September. We had exceptional rainfall in Scotland at the start of October that was the wettest two-day period on record in the country for 132 years. Um, December, sorry, 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 just say that again. Which two days were the wettest in 132 years? Uh, there were two days in Scotland at the start of October that were the, that were the wettest period or two-day period on record in Scotland for 132 years. That's mental. Um, December was the equal eighth wettest 12th month in the UK since 1836. It was the fourth wettest for Northern England, according to the Met Office. Um, there was a total of 188.6 millimetres of rain in the UK in December in all. That's about seven and a half inches in total. Um, it was phenomenal in Wales, 258 millimetres, 246 millimetres in Scotland. And all that did was uh, put more liquid onto what had come before so going into november there were 118.9 millimeters of rain in november across the uk and 171.5 millimeters of rain across the uk in october so in total uh, more than a foot and a half of rain fell in the uk in the last three months of 2023 same thing started in 2024 obviously uh, and now that the rain has finally stopped we are forecast to go into i mean there's already snow hitting in the south of england um spoke to a golf club manager who said yeah i'm looking out on snow um the weather is forecast to turn much colder obviously any remaining standing water that's on golf courses will turn into ice and ice brings its own problems doesn't it yeah I mean, it's just depressing, right? I'll tell you what else as well. Why, when you're reading out those numbers, do you sometimes read them in millimetres and sometimes read them in inches? Because they are they are displayed in millimetres, um, but sometimes I like to convert them into inches because I think inches gives people a bigger sense of just how much rain it is. If I, if I say, I mean, like going back to the one that I said earlier, if I say to you there's 186 millimetres of rain fell in the UK in December, that means nothing to you, right, if you're of a certain age. But if I tell you that seven and a half inches of rain fell in, the sa in, in that same period, it gives you a sense of how much rain fell. It's half, more than half a foot. No, because I'm, I'm in the middle of a one-man campaign to make everyone go metric. 
yeah, really I'm... annoys when people use feet and inches still. Well, I'm gonna, it's I'm, like 30 I'm, years I'm, old. I'm going to cater for both crowds. Fair enough. Um, I, can anyway, give you some, so... I can give you some, some actual club um, and give you some actual club details. So uh, York, which is one of my home clubs, we had 35 inches of rainfall in 2023, but 15 inches of that, or nearly half the total, fell in the last three months. York has been shut now for... I mean, the best part of two weeks. Um, so York is uh, the the River Ouse and Foss. Basically, the ditches drain into them um, from the golf course. So when the, the when the two rivers are high, which is often in York, um, the, the water has nowhere to go. Um, so York is York's bit. I mean, I've seen some pictures. You can see them on social media if you have a look at your golf club. The course is basically underwater um, in places, like completely underwater. Uh, in our growth, members said that they'd had 120 millimetres, 150 millimetres and 219 millimetres of rain over the last three months. Members told me that Chesterfield was closed for 15 days in December and obviously in the early part of this month. That followed 10 days of closure in October and November. The week following Christmas, 112 millimetres of rain fell. Um, it's just fields in Nottinghamshire had 1,136 millimetres of rain over 2023. That's 44.7 inches, Tom, or more than three and a half feet. This is a lot of numbers, Steve, a lot of numbers. So what we can say is it's very wet, and it's not just golf courses that are closed, is it? Like all sports pitches have been shut. My kids' football has been cancelled like for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, and it is it is a significant problem. And like, what so what do you think golf courses should do? Like, if you're a club who is in some way reliant on um, income through the winter, and you've got all of this moisture on your golf course, like, what is the right call? What are clubs doing, and what are they well, saying about the decision making process? Well, I mean, I think if you're a club that's reliant, massively reliant on bringing in big income streams during the winter, then you're in trouble. Um, because the reality of living in a temperate country is it rains, it gets cold, it snows, outside leisure activities get curtailed in the winter. I think what surprises people this year, last year, and obviously in the previous years is just the scale of what we're experiencing now. Um, some people say that's climate change. Some people will argue with that. I, I, I think there's no doubt that not only do we get more rain than we used to, we get it in more violent bursts than we used to. When it comes, it comes a lot um and obviously you know if you've got something like uh golf club soil which a uh, golf club turf not greens but fairways as well and tees i mean they're they're cut low you know there's only so off there's only so much space isn't there for the water to go into before the profile starts flooding um clubs are i think in terms of what they can offer their golfers um they are more imaginative about this than, than they have in the past. I mean, there are far more golf clubs now with studios, for example, and simulators than, than they used to be. I know that York Simulator has been very busy um, because it's Trackman and you can go and play any virtually any golf course you want in the world. You can go and hire the place out for half an hour. And I know a lot of golfers have done that. Um, for golf clubs that still have driving ranges that aren't flooded, that aren't attached to the club, I know that they've been busy. Um, you know, speaking to other courses, members have still been going down to the golf club um, to use the driving range to try and use what practice facilities they can. I do think in the future there'll be um, golf clubs should think more about artificial aesthetic uh, practice facilities that are open all year round um, and, and aren't so reliant on um, it being wet or not. I don't think we'll ever get to the case where we'll see 
artificial greens on golf courses and things like that but for practice facilities i definitely think that they um, that that is something that they should investigate um and and they should they should really try tom to accentuate the community aspect of of their golf club and trying to get members down and organizing activities and things that will encourage members not just to stay at home now i am of the stay at home type i am not the type of person that sort of rocks up at their golf club when there's no golf however um i am not the average profile in a private member's golf club either and i know that um for a lot of people and for a lot of golf clubs that have an uh, older member profile um there's a huge sense of community isn't there and there's a huge sense of belonging about um being together at a golf club and there's certainly things that you can do quizzes and i mean just stupid simple stuff like that you know dinners that gets people in the same room together yeah i think it's it's i mean it just it's bad for everybody right like nobody wants the golf course to be closed and nobody wants it to be under however many inches or millimeters or whatever you've just said of water um on a constant basis but from the golf club's point of view and certainly from the course manager's point of view like closing it is absolutely the right call because if they have people tramping around on sodden greens and sodden fairways it's just going to do untold damage the golf course will take months to recover and then people will be cross about the condition of the course once it gets to may and june time but people are very unhappy when they're told to stay away aren't they and there's this kind of thing where people need to apportion blame and i think a lot of the time like golf club course managers and golf club managers cop it from members who are cross that the course is closed again when in fact it's no one's fault it's a very odd and very odd thing isn't it i think the i think when it's raining it's obvious right and so there's disgruntlement but i think only the stupidest people get really cross about this you know you look outside you see it's pouring the golf course is saturated it's closed i think the difficult period comes now actually you know where i am in york it hasn't rained now in any significant fashion for about three days four days and people will start to get itchy i'm not saying members are doing this at the golf club i'm just saying my experience of it is people start to get itchy after three or four days well it hasn't rained so why isn't the golf course open and it's because You've had so much rain on there. There's no way for it to go if the if the drains can't if the drains can't um, obviously empty you into anywhere. If there's any other rain or any inclement weather that comes under the top, the course is so saturated, the water level is so high that again anything that comes on top just saturates it again. But I do, but I think this is when there's the issue rather than rather than when it's actually pouring down. It's like I look out of my window now. It's not raining it's a quite a nice january day why can't i yeah. go, why can't i go and play, go play golf that's when it starts so people think it's like flicking a switch and it really doesn't really work like that and it just has been so unprecedented like i saw on social media that princes have been closed for goodness sake like the sort of sandiest most southernest course in the country and it's it's still shut i mean it's just unbelievable yeah, when, when, when links courses get shut then you know you're in bother yeah, yeah. And I guess a lot of this, it, it comes down to cash, doesn't it? Like golf clubs are all putting their fees up. They've all, the golf, the golf courses have got rising costs. We've all got rising costs at home. And if people can't get on their golf course for whatever reason, they start to question the value of the membership that they're paying. Um, and it's, it's a really big topic, isn't it? And again, it's kind of seasonal. A lot of golf oh, clubs re we, renew their subs in January. This, um, this is the curious, I know we're going to get, I know we're going to, we're going to have a sub interrupting your seamless link here. So apologies, yeah. but, but this is one of the things that is really interesting about golf compared to other 
sort of service industry. So golf likes to think of itself as not a leisure pursuit, as something above a leisure pursuit. It's not like going to the gym. It's not like having a gym membership. You know, you, you can't just, if the gym's shut because the power's off, you'll get a refund, right, on your membership. Um, but if the but if the golf course is shut because it's because it's raining, well, we're, it, golf's not like the gym. We're all in it together, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you've, you've, we've all got to come together and we've all got to meet the common goal. And there's overheads and every, everything still needs to be run and all that sort of thing. But when it gets to two or three weeks, you're quite right, Tom. When it gets to two or three weeks, COVID was a perfect example of this, wasn't it? Where you know lockdown happened, didn't take long from oh my god my golf club's nearly shut to it didn't take long to hang on i've been on my golf club for two months why am i still paying a year's fees yeah i mean and it gets into the debate about um renewal times i guess doesn't it and we've we've just ticked um past january the first when a lot of clubs renew their fees certainly mine does um and the the sort of th- second thing we want to get into is, is the cost of golf club membership. So our, our friends at Golf Shake have surveyed this, right? And it, it, the two things are, I think, intimately linked because every time that invoice drops, as you say, you're, you're questioning the value. We're all short-termists, right? So we think, well, I haven't played, so sod it, I've managed without that and then probably regret it in the summer. Um, but the material cost of being a member of a golf club is is increasing. Like we know the people at Golf Shake really well. Um, Darren loves a bit of data, and certainly this survey is kind of made for um, interesting reading. A bit of background for people. I think it's sort of important that the context of who Golf Shake are and kind of the type of people who use that site. So it's originally um, score tracking software. So it's kind of early days of. Um, things like Golf Game Book or um, Golf Genius or the England Golf app. So they had a kind of um, proprietary system where you could write down your scores, write down some of your stats and then and try and track your progress or try and improve your golf that way. And they've kind of morphed into a, um, um, a more a broader church of golf content. They've always had a focus on every man golf courses. Um, and I guess they're sort of a competitor of ours, but they're a friendly competitor. Um, and who cares, frankly, this was sort of interesting stuff. And um, we've taken some of it and repurposed it for NCG. Um, Steve sort of interpreted some of the data there, but we thought it was worthy of conversation here. Um, my sort of interpretation of the golf shake audience is that they wouldn't be at the sort of top end of a kind of um, affluent um golf audience and um, they're obviously all proper golfers um so i think some of the numbers here should be kind of viewed through that prism if you like um i think in the early days certainly a lot of golf shake um users were non-members that's kind of where they started with with the score tracking people for people who didn't have a handicap um but they've got this kind of headline figure that more than half of golfers are now paying more than a thousand pounds um to be a member of a golf club you're shaking your head yeah, because it's not more than it's nearly. It's about four. Okay, it's about so around half, around half of us are paying um, over a thousand pounds to be a member of a golf club. Um, I would argue that I think the reality of it is that, that more than half of us are paying a thousand pounds to be a member of a golf club, just because of what I know about the golf shake audience, and that is a big number, isn't it? Um, it's a big number for a lot of people. Um, it brings it into sort of similar cost to kind of high end gyms, um, and I think it. It is, it is something that would take quite a lot of people back. Um, there's been a, a lot of chat about it online, hasn't there, on the piece that you've written. A lot of people sort of um, saying, well, what do you expect to pay? And other people saying, yeah, it's way too high. And other people saying, I pay way more than that. What's your kind of view on that as a sort of headline? Um, I mean, So we presented these figures as fact without opinion, really. Um, I, I, was, I, was, I was quite surprised to 
um, to see us criticised in, in in some of the way we were, is if we were sort of endorsing it or not. No, we we there was a survey, sixteen hundred golfers took part. This is what the this is what golfers said. Um, so let me just tell you what they said first. Um, so there was more than it was more than sixteen hundred golfers. So, I mean, like it's you know it's significant numbers, right? If it was a Murray poll, you'd be, you'd be like saying, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what they, and they, they did a, a previous survey in 2018 where they asked people, how much are you paying for a golf club membership? Are you paying more than a thousand pounds? And in 2018, um, the number of respondents who said they were over four figures was 19.6%. And that figure now is 43.5%. So the figure of people, the number of people paying more than four figures for golf club membership who've been surveyed is, is, is more than doubled. But the figures also reflected a trend in rising cost in playing the game everywhere. Members were spending more on golf balls, on clothing, on practicing, on trips and things like that. Now, as you pointed out earlier on, you know, the financial situation has changed over the last five years, inflation, et cetera. Things cost more prices go up so there, there is that that needs to be um pushed into it um the second survey they did a lot of surveys right and you can go and have a look on their website there's a lot of interesting in, in information in there but the second survey that i looked at their membership survey asked players whether they'd be renewing in 2024 78 percent of respondents confirmed they'd be carrying on but some 17 percent had said they were undecided about whether to continue now why that is relevant now um, is because um, it starts to suggest that the COVID popularity boom is flattening out now. Um, they did a similar survey in 2021, and 89% then said they were going to renew following the boom in the sports popularity. So you've got two things. You've got members who are, who are saying that they're paying more for membership, and you've got double the number of people compared with 2021 who are now saying for the first time that they might consider whether to continue their membership or not. Now, um, to put some of this stuff into context, on, on, on the first point on the price, I think this largely depends on what part of the country that you live in. Um, to a certain extent, there'll be listeners. There'll be listeners here who'll be who'll be looking at that thousand pound figure and like going, "I wish we only paid a thousand. I mean, the further south you go, the more it costs, right? I mean, I mean, I, I, I in, in this rain feature that I've been doing, I've been looking at some of the uh, cost of courses for membership of of those that I've been talking to, and it's massively four figures, like massively four figures. Um, you know, if, and um, certainly where I live. Uh, course uh, club membership below a thousand pounds is much more the norm. There's a couple of courses, um, my own being one, for example, that are uh, decently into four figures, but that would not be the norm, right? The norm would be below thousand pounds. So I don't want to be like north south about it because I think that's a bit too simplistic. And you know, for wherever you go, wherever region you go there's a Ganton or an Old Woodley, or there's a close house, or there's another big golf course that will be the exception to the rule and will charge a significantly higher membership fee than the norm. But generally, I would say the further north you go, the more chance you have of paying under a thousand. The further south you go, more likely is that you're probably going to pay uh, over over a thousand pounds, Tom. On the membership stuff, or just to finish off, because I realize I've talked for a little bit here. On the membership stuff, um, this can be... Uh, because of a number of things it can be because 
the COVID thing is is living up to its course. It could be because of cost of living, although I think golf has largely been insulated from cost of living compared to other industries. I mean, everyone was expecting there to be a sharp dip in membership last year. Um, there was not. Uh, membership figures have remained really pretty stable. Um, there was obviously government support for people last year that there is not this year. Um, in terms of the sort of middle income people like ourselves who might be um, listening to this, you know, we got money last year for heating that we're not getting this year, right? The price has fallen of utilities, but it's still more than it was last year. So maybe people are thinking about we've got extra bills to pay and 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 perhaps we can't perhaps we're going to think about our membership but you know what what do you think i mean you know well i think it's i just think there's quite a lot to it like the that number about people who are thinking that they're not going to renew um or they are going to renew sorry dropping is is quite interesting to me so you've gone from basically 90 percent in 2021 as you say to below 80 percent this year that's quite a significant drop um, you sort of said you think it's indicative of the COVID boom waning. So one of the reasons I think there was a membership boom specifically in COVID is because it's very difficult to get on a golf course if you weren't a member because of the increase in participation. What we've seen subsequently is that a lot of the data is telling us that rounds played are still up and the number of people playing golf is still up. But membership is not up. Um, and I think that is indicative of a, of a changing the way that people are going to consume golf as we kind of move forwards. Um, in that is the membership model still fit for purpose? And this is the question mark that it raises to me is that membership specifically, I think, has been uh, as as been in a COVID bubble um, and that I don't think will last um, for all of the reasons that you've just you've just laid out. Um, and when you the other number that I would then pull out of the, the golf shake survey is the amount that non-members are spending on their golf. So if we are. Um, if we are discussing um, membership fees that are north of a thousand pounds, the number on um, of amount of money that non-members are paying on green fees, very very few people are spending more than five hundred pounds in total in a year on green fees. So half what people are contributing in terms of subs. Um, so that is quite a big discrepancy, isn't it, in terms of the amount of income flowing into golf clubs from either green fees or membership payers if people are moving to uh, preferring a green fee model. Um, so I think that that is, that is going to be a challenge for, for golf clubs moving forward. If they can't rely on the fixed income of, um, of membership and the amount of money that people are willing to spend or do spend on green fees is significantly lower than the amount they contribute through membership fees, then that presents people with a problem. And it, it, it raises this question again about why do people join golf clubs? Because based on that survey and based on what we know, and certainly based on my own experiences, there's really no sense or value basis for a lot of people um, to join a golf club. And that was some of the opinion that we were getting online, wasn't it? Is that some people are saying, well, that is ridiculous. I only play 10 times a year. So I'm basically playing a hundred pounds a round. Uh, other people are saying, well, I pay three times a week. So actually when it nets out, it's, it's great value for me. And it, it just gets back to this one size does not fit all in terms of how people consume their golf. And we have for many, many years sort of mindlessly gone down this men membership route, which COVID sort of has, has spiked again. But I think people now start to say, look, what is the reason I'm a member of this golf club? Because I can't justify it on a on a straight cash basis. I can't justify it on a cost per round basis. So there must be more there must be more to the value of a golf club membership than just the money, right? Shall I give you some hot off the press figures on 
visit a green phase. Please do. Um, so the Revenue Club um, issued their market golf market overview for 2023 yesterday. Revenue Club worked with about 175 clubs throughout the UK and Ireland. And what they specifically do is try and drive visitor golf green sales. Um, and they revealed that the average club, their average club, um, the number that they brought in in green fee sales last year was 163,952. That was a growth of 8% on 2022. It was an average green fee rise of 5% to £26.80. And it was contributing to what was a record year overall for visitor menu. Now, interestingly, in the context of what you're saying, um, the Revenue Club said that the major opportunities had come in the early part of the year with a near 10% drop in member play. And they said, quote, possibly due to the cost of living crisis opened up course capacity. That led to a first quarter in visitor sales that they, quote, said set clubs up well for the remainder of the year. Online yeah. booking is surging um, with their clubs. Online booking's up. 7% online sales are adding apparently an, an extra £10,000 to the average total for a club. Um, yeah. So I, I don't, I don't I know if that backs up what you're saying, but it gives it, it gives it some interesting context anyway. I just think the whole thing speaks to this requirement for golf clubs to understand what they are, right? As in, you just still have got this mixture of clubs that are trying to pull off the stunt of being a private members club and being um, someone that, take significant amount of green fee revenue to me i think we're we're rapidly approaching the day where you have to make a decision whether you're going to try and provide a high-end uh high cost um high value membership experience for members and their guests or whether you're going to be somewhere that relies um on green fee income i just don't think it's possible to do both in any meaningful sense for the vast majority of clubs um so I think there's, I think a lot of golf clubs are going to have some pretty serious questions to ask themselves over the next um, couple of years as things return to kind of pre-COVID levels um, and people feel the pinch of what are rising costs of living, which the majority of which are here to stay. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. I'd sort of welcome people to go and read it. Um, hopefully you're enjoying what we're chatting about. Uh, we have got the sort of main event to come. Would like to encourage you all to subscribe to our podcast. We are available on Apple and Android and all sorts of other places. It really helps us if uh, you subscribe. It means you never miss this ep episode. It means you get a little prompt on your phone to go and listen. Uh, and more listeners, we can, we can attract better guests and provide a better quality product for you. So please do go and subscribe. Um, and we've got a hell of a guest now, haven't we, Steve? This sort of came out of the blue, didn't it? Yes, it did. So our, our friends over at Live Golf have kind of opened their arms, haven't they? Benevolent souls that they are. Uh, keen to um, get their voices heard in the marketplace. Keen to put some of their players forward for interviews. And they've been brilliant with us in terms of offering us a, a chance to chat to some very high-profile figures. I say us. They don't trust us with it, do they? It's specifically Matt Chivers, uh, who um, has been out and about chatting to the great and the good of Live Golf. Uh, and we've really enjoyed listening. So we kind of thought we'd we'd uh, bring you a, a sample of the chat that he's recently had with uh, a very, very high-profile um, Live Golfer. He's a two-time major winner. He's a four-time Ryder Cupper. 
I was reading online that he owns a sweet shop, believe it or not. He's left-handed, but these days he's best known as the captain of the Range Goats. It's none other than the 2010-2012 Masters champion, Bubba Watson. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. He is a bit of a divisive character. We love him for his shot shaping. He's old school pink driver. He's a very unique playing style. But he has been outspoken on quite a lot of topics and he hasn't always been on the right side of those debates. Um, so his move to live, I guess, was sort of of little surprise. But it is very fair to say he's embraced his role as captain of the rather excitingly named Range Goats. Um, and his chat with Matt covered a lot of topics. It touched on his relationship with Jane Monaghan, which was interesting, um, his love for Augusta, which I guess is unsurprising, um, but a big focus on on the goats themselves and the future of the framework agreement. And it's, it's, it's very clear that he's got a steadfast belief in the live product. So it's all good stuff. So without further ado, here is Bubba Watson trying to NCG's very own Matt Chivers. Thank you so much. Um, one of the main reasons I wanted to speak to you today was because it's, it's sort of, 10, 10, it's going to be 10 years in April since you won your second um, Masters title and sort of in the, lead, in the lead up to that, I really wanted to sort of get your thoughts and oh, thoughts on yep. the green jacket in Augusta. And so how, how much do how much they occupy your thoughts still, still 10 years on and 12 years on from your first one? Well, you know, it's funny. Around January 1st, um, right at the start of the new year, ESPN on TV starts showing the Masters commercials. And so that's where you start, you know, all the thoughts, all the things um, you start building up to it. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, gosh, half the year I think about it because I want to win, right? Like, we all want to win. Um, we want to win it again. And mm -hmm. to win it to win it twice is a dream come true. But, you know, if there's that chance because I believe in my game and I believe in the course and I trust the course, I love the course, um, gosh, to win it three times, there's only a handful of people that have ever won it three times. Certainly. I know there's only a handful that's ever won it twice, but <laughs> – it gets even less and less, you know, as you go. So that would be, um, especially at this age, thinking about what Jack Nicholas did at, at 46, I'm 45. Um, you know, you have those thoughts that you might be able to pull it off. Um, yeah, so that would be, that's, that's where the thoughts go, right? That mm. you know it's been done before and you want to try to emulate that. Yeah, I see. Um, and in, in 2014, it became like a battle between you and a very, a very sort of young Jordan Spieth, who was only 20 at the time. It was sort of one of his first... Uh, tilts at the Masters, I suppose. Um, what was crucial on that day? Did you think it was your experience that sort of confirmed the three-shot win or how did it sort of pan out, do you think? Yeah, for me, it was. Um, I He knocked it close on um, seven. Uh, they put the pin in the bowl where you can spin it back down real close to the hole. I plugged it in the bunker. So I got up and down out of the bunker and made a par. I'm three down with 11 holes to go. And... The turnaround was right there. I'm walking to the par 5T, and I just said, you're three down. But he's never won. He's 20. He's never won the Masters. The back nine is where it is. The back nine. The back nine. you got to stay focused. you got to mm -hmm. stay focused. And what happened on eight and nine was the biggest flip, right? I, I birdied eight. Yeah. And I birdied nine. And he, he three-putted eight. So now I'm one down starting hole nine. I birdied nine. And he hits it off the green, bogey's nine. So now I'm one up. And so all I could think about was just stay focused. You're one up. You're one up. You know, keep doing your thing. If you shoot, if you shoot one or two under, you could probably win this thing. And I, so I just said, I've done this before. I've been here before. I've got the advantage. I won two years ago. I know what it's going to feel like. I know what we need to do. Um, and then he hit in the water on um, 12. He made, yeah. an unbelievable, he made an unbelievable bogey. Yeah, put, 
that put me um, two up, and then I birdied 13, and he didn't birdie it. So I, went, I think I went three up at that moment, I think. Or it might have been after 12. I'm not sure. But um, so, yeah, from there, from 13 on, I was just trying to hang on, making sure mm -hmm. no way made birdie. If I part out. So, yeah, so going back to your main question, the experience, that's what I kept telling myself. I've done this before. I've done this before. I know what the pressure's like. I know what this is going to feel like. He doesn't. And not yeah. saying he's not a good golfer at that moment, just saying he just doesn't know the experience of the course. Mm, of the atmosphere. Yeah. And he won the very next year. So it's not he, he wasn't so good. He did. He almost needed that year. Um, yeah. I suppose, how difficult is it to sort of keep your emotions in check on the back nine at Augusta? Because I suppose, you know, sort of 13 and 15 are opportunities to birdie, aren't they, an eagle? But then it can all collapse at any sort of point, especially on the 12th hole um, and other points as well. How sort of difficult is it to? sort of stay in control on the back nine at Augusta? Man, I wish I knew. Um, you know, <laughs> you, um, do, you do, you definitely do. <laughs> I did it twice. Um, you know, it's to stay in control. You, that's when the, the person on your bag, right? In your head, in your ear, your caddy has to be there and get you honed in on what we're focused on. Um, in 12, <clears throat> I birdied four in a row. I birdied 13, 14, 15, 16 to tie for the lead. Yeah. Um, and it's a different mindset in 13, I mean, sorry, in, I was thinking of hole 13. Um, in 14, on hole 13, I made a birdie, and then I just parred out. Because I was three up, it wasn't chasing birdies. It wasn't chasing anybody. I was like, okay, nobody had a roar. Nobody's mm. birdie. Nobody's moved up. I think there was two people at three shots behind me, and I was playing with one of them. And so I didn't hear a roar. So I was like, okay, pars are good. Another par is good. I got to 16. Um, I played safe on 15 and 14. I hit it over the green, yeah. uh, under trees. I hit it over the green. I chipped it short to make sure I didn't chip it in the water. And then I was like, okay, I can two putt from 20 feet. So that's what I did. Um, so another par go to 16. I hit it to like 20 feet, two putt for par. So three shot lead. That's all I kept telling myself. I was like, nobody's birdieing. You're still three shot lead. Just make a par, just do this, just do that. And so I was only focused on trying to not make a mistake. Instead of yeah. chasing down somebody. So it was the two different years. One I was chasing and one I was just hanging on. Mm -hmm. So it's a different mindset. But that's what I was focusing on. I kept saying, nobody's birdieing. That's tough holes. Just make a par. You can make a par. Yeah. And that's what yeah, I kept yeah. telling myself. Yeah, I see. Um, I thought I thought your comments, because you, you, you can obviously go back to Augusta for, for the rest of your life. Um, I thought your comments sort of at the end of last year where with the – quest for OWGR with Live Golf, but I think you've sort of made comments saying that you, you just like Live to have major spots instead of official world ranking points, yeah. um, which I thought was a really interesting interesting take and one that I'd sort of, I think I'd definitely agree with because um, that's what the OWGR is really for, isn't it? It's to get into majors. How realistic a prospect do you actually think that is as sort of like the big parties try to get an agreement together. How realistic, how realistic do you think that is? I mean, it should be real realistic. Um, so when you think about the tours, right, you have the Australian tour, you have the Asian tour, now the DP World Tour, then you have the US uh, PGA, right? So when you think about, and those are just the main ones, there's other ones, mm -hmm. there's, there's other ones, but if you think about those, okay, if you want to say the PGA of, uh, PGA Tour is the biggest, they give them the most spots off their money list or points mm. list, however you want to do it. Then next would be the DP World Tour. So just because the money in the world rankings, because 
because guys want to live in the U.S. and don't want to travel to Europe. So that shouldn't hinder – just give them less spots in the majors. And then mm. with us only having 48 players, then give us like – we'll say 10 spots. If top mm. 10 on our – top 10 is not easy to do on our tour, right, or our league. And so if you can do that, then what's 10 spots? And it gets the best players on our league, best players on every tour into the event, and then you get to battle for four times. Um, mm. It makes a lot of sense in my head. Now, to actually make it work and everybody agree, that's a whole mm. different – all game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and then the, the outlook of golf, you know, I think a few players in the PJ Tour sort of spoke last week in Hawaii about their, I don't know, about their, they just want sort of everything to come together and a deal a deal to be done. Um, would you be positive on, on golf's outlook in the future? Did, did you, are you happy with the amount of information you know? Are you, did you wish you knew more? Um, I, the one thing that I do know is Liv's not going anywhere. So that's the only information I care about. Yeah. yeah. Um, but <clears throat> you got to remember, you got to look at this differently, though. The the Jack Nicholas and all the big names from America used to go to Japan because Japan paid more money. Then when Greg Norman and other Australians, the Australian tour at the end of the year was the big events, right? There was three main events in Australia. So there still is. But and so the the PGA the PGA Tour wasn't the biggest payout, so people went other parts of the world. Um, just because we started paying out more money on the PGA Tour, mm. does that mean we're a better tour, or does that mean people can make more income? Uh, and so just because there is another now a big dog, um, live, the Live League came out. Um, yeah, we're just the, the higher one right now, right? And every, mm. look at every continent. We've had different tours. I mean, the DP World Tour, the European Tour. I mean, I can think of Ann Poulter, Lee Westwood. I mean, think about all the big names that we've learned about watching those events. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so right now, it's just live as the 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 bigger dog on on campus. But nobody wants any of these tours to go away. We want these all to be. If I went and played in Europe, nobody would say anything bad about me or where I went and played. But because I went to live for some reason, that's the the bad one. So I just think that um, you know, I think where we're at, we're going to have some positivity out of this. Mm. Um, as a whole, because I think people are seeing that now and understanding mm. that these other tours used to be the bigger tours and then PGA tour came out and became the bigger tour. It just, so I think it just got to give it time. Um, yeah. but I think nothing but great is going to happen. Um, I think people are understanding it more and more as, as yeah, months yeah. go by. Um, <clears throat> nobody wants any tour to go away. You got to have all these tours to make golf work, to make, to grow the game of golf. Um, you got to have these countries um, playing. Um, yeah. You know, all these countries got to play golf. China's the next biggest, right? If we get China playing golf, then China's going to, I mean, then golf will take off even bigger, right? Certainly, certainly. Um, I think when it was sort of announced in June, <clears throat> obviously it was a big shock to everyone. The players, the players, only a few people were sort of privy to negotiations, I think, weren't they? Um, I think on the PJ Tour, there was a lot of hostility aimed at Jay Monaghan. How, how happy... Um, do you think there's a difference in transparency between Monaghan and the tour and Norman and Live Golf? Because I suppose my question is, are you happier with Greg Norman as a, as a, as, a, as a chief executive than PJ Tour players would be with Jay Norman Jay Monaghan as a chief executive? Well, just off the record, me and me and uh, Jay Monaghan have won a member guest at my home course. So me and him are really we we were close. Um, 
me and Greg Norman have never won a tournament together. So <laughs> me, and, me and Jay match up better. Um, and so, you know, the question you're asking, though, you have to you're asking a tough question because I knew what I, the information I needed to know is that live was here to stay. Hmm. Uh, you're talking about a, a, an organization that's a nonprofit that um, started passing out a lot of money um, that was going to struggle. And Jay's not the big voice. Jay is the, the face. But there's people behind the scenes that that, you know, there's board of directors on the PJ Tour. Yeah. And so there's things that I can't answer behind the scenes. Um, but I could see the writing on the wall where Liv was going, and that's why I wanted to go to Liv. Um, I thought Jay's done an amazing job for his his organization, and I think I think since '96 or '93, whenever Greg dreamed up this idea, and now it finally came true. Mm -hmm. I think Greg Greg has done an amazing job. So you know, you're asking a question you can't answer that way. Um, I'm friends with both of them. I love both of them, and I think they've both run their organization on um, best of their ability. Um, yeah. You know, and and live and PGA Tour are two different things. So I didn't want like I don't need to know what what the this the the PIF is doing with PGA Tour. I just need to know what the range goats are doing. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I knew yeah. that they were here to stay, so I was good. Exactly. Um, Yes, when you say the writing was on, just one more, just one, one last one on the PGA Tour. When you say the writing yeah. was on the wall there, what, what what do you mean by that? Was there sort of things bubbling that you didn't that that, that made you move to live? Was there was there things that you didn't like that, or, or well, was it just a pure move was, for you? There was always things as a player I didn't like um, on the PGA Tour, but there was no better place for me to go. I'm from America. I live in America. Why would I not play the PGA Tour? Um, what those examples those beans, live, I'm sorry. What what, exactly. what examples of things that you didn't like were, I suppose? Well, I, it's just it's the same stuff that's being exposed now. I mean, you're talking about um you, you know, you you talk about we're trying to grow the game, we're trying to help all the players. I mean, there's two hundred and plus people that have a PJ tour card, but you can't help all two hundred and something people because there was only a hundred and at the most you had hundred and fifty five playing an event. Um, you can't help everybody, right? And when and when Bubba Watson loses his card on the PJ Tour, nobody calls me and tries to help me out. Um, luckily, I never lost my card on the PJ Tour. Mm -hmm. But people lose their job every year um, on the PJ Tour because they don't perform to their level or that they want to perform to. Um, and then having a nonprofit just start paying out all this money, uh, I just didn't see how that's a good business model. Um, and then live, I got this great opportunity at live. I said, I'm going to be part of a team. I'm getting older. I'm going to be a part of a franchise. We're going to be a, a, a traveling um, league that goes all around the world, um, bringing golf, exciting golf to all these people and be part of a team. And, and you get to design the logo and the team atmosphere and the, and the, and the colors. Um, when I think about the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup, that's the most watched events all year round. Yeah. yeah. So it makes the most sense to me. So Liv gave me an opportunity to do something and be more creative. Um, so I, I went that route. Um, yeah, I'm not saying I would have ever quit the PJ tour. If Liv wasn't there, I would have kept playing mm -hmm. the PJ. Mm -hmm. I'm not, but it's hard to get, to get all the voting, all the players to have the, the same amount of votes. I and mean, that's just a lot of people to make happy. Um, it's a lot easier to make 40, 48 people happy than, than 200. <laughs> plus. Yeah, of course. It is, yeah. yeah.
Um, I suppose just, just one more from me, Bubba. Thank you so much for your time. Um, there's been a bit of movement on the range goats this sort of this winter, isn't there? You've got Matt Wolf and um, Peter Uline in instead of Taylor Gooch and Harold Barner. I suppose I'd just like to ask what what was sort of the rationale behind that, and yeah, what, what was the logic behind those moves? Um, when I look at when I look at a 24 year old Matt Wolf, um, I think he's very talented. Um, he's proven that he's talented. Um, he's young. And I just, I've always loved him. I've always loved who he was and who he is. And I've been trying to get him on my team for two years. Um, okay. The perfect scenario, you know, just like any other sports team in the world, there's financial gains and, and gains and not gains for trades. Mm. And um, so there was a little bit of that. And then I thought the reason, the only way to get Matt was to have his best friend. And I think that they play a lot together. And when I say best friend, best golfing friend. I don't know if it's true as best friend, but best golfing friend and somebody who spends the time with is Peter Uline. So the only way to make this all work is to, to trade two, not just one. Um, so when I traded Harold for Peter, then that made it easy for me to go get Wolf because I think if you put them together, um, that makes the range goats that much better. And when you look at personalities and what fits for the range goats and where the range goats want to be and who they want to be, I just thought that Matt Wolf is, um, yeah, a long-term vision of the goats um uh, his creativity his his swing the way he was brought up and raised at the golf course um i just thought it fit the goats the most um and so just all the pieces have to come together it's not just yeah, one move yeah. it's multiple moves i see i see i suppose in terms of your own sort of playing playing prospects you've been very honest about um you know saying things like i'll play for as long as they want to keep you there and things like that and yeah, yeah. and you, you had a bit of a stop start to your live career. You had the injuries, uh, an injury in twenty twenty two, and you played last year. Um, in terms of your own playing prospects, you know, I imagine you want to play for as long as possible, don't you? Yes, for sure. Um, you know, if I, it's kind of like the question. Um, you know, playing at the Masters, it's it's like when is enough enough? Um, you know, when I look at like what Davis Love, Davis Love won at like fifty one years old, Phil. Phil won a major at 50 something years old, 51 years old or 50 years old. When I look at those guys doing that, um, then I think I can do that. And with me mm-hmm. being healthier, losing like 20 pounds, trying to get better in shape, trying to get more energy. Um, I feel like I have that ability. Last year, I'm not saying last year was a struggle, but trying to get my leg and trying to get used to the swing again after eight months off after mm-hmm. surgery. I think this year is going to prove a lot to myself and to the, to the golf world that I can play. Um, so I'm looking forward to that challenge. Um, but at the end of the year, if I lose my card, you know, fall in that reg, regu, regulation where you relegation, relegation. Where you, uh, yeah, I couldn't think of the word. Um, and so <laughs> if I fall in that, then yeah, then I'm not good enough. Right. Like, so that's a no brainer, right? If you do that multiple times, even though I'm the captain, you know, it's time to hang it up. Right. Or, or go somewhere else or go to the champions tour. But, um, you know, that's where, um, those are things that I don't want to even think about because I feel no, like I course, still have the course. ability. I still have the ability to play, um, beat these young kids, and so that's what I want to do. No, so I think that's what we want to, want to see. To be fair, um, so with the Champions Tour be, be an option one day for you? Do you think when you're a bit, a bit, a bit more older, do you think that'd be an option for you one day? Obviously not now. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, um, yeah, that'd be a great place to be. Um, you know, to be able to play, that means you're healthy, right? That means you're, yeah. means you're doing the right things in your life to be able to play and compete. Um, but I mean, what, Phil's 52-ish, 53, and he's still playing out here. So I still got a few more years to uh, 
play out here. Yeah, certainly. certainly. Thank you so much, Bubba. Thanks. That was a hell of a depiction of a range goat style player, wasn't it? It's like amazing to sort of hear uh hear him talk like that about the, the type of player that he wants on his team. It's like kind of Brazil 1970, Barcelona under Pep stuff. Like we have a sort of way of playing on the range goats. Uh, it was pretty nice to hear him talking about Matt Wolf like that. It did make me wonder about if you were sort of now trying to um, plan your prototype range goats player, where would you get to? Yeah, I mean, but Matt Wolf is a very interesting addition. Um, it'd be really because in- the kid's got tremendous talent um and let's just say let's let's just say that he could have been treated better um by brooks and his massively masochistic version of winning um so it'd be really interesting to see and i think um i mean bubba's a great character isn't he um whatever you make of the decision to move to live i mean not seeing him on the pga tour every week not being able to see him um, play that extremely distinctive game that he's got is has been in, and is um, something that I think that we should as golfers lament because there are a few people like him, are there? Um, whether it's how he speaks, his character, or the way he just hits the golf ball. I mean, he's he's very much a one-off, isn't he? You can still watch him, you know, on the free-to-air live broadcast on an app oh, or on wherever it is. Listen, you, you'll not hear me slagging off people putting golf on youtube uh, of of the very of the slings and arrows right that are thrown at live the stupidest one is well it's on youtube great you know, like we free to air golf for people in the uk i mean just because you're too old to put youtube on your tv the rest of us aren't um but i i you you said this a few weeks ago and and this is where i am with live golf it's just not in my head yet um to watch it and and maybe it will be maybe it will be this year i i I have to say they sent they sent through press accreditation tom for las vegas and i was like next month and i was like "Ooh, (laughs) i could definitely do that yeah yeah, that would be quite some trip wouldn't it but you say it's not in your head but like in many ways it's happening like you're saying oh matt wolf wasn't treated very well on his old team and he's been sort of welcomed with open arms by the quirky range goats like this is the kind of soap opera el dorado type stuff that that's the whole idea of the team format isn't it and it's happening you're talking about it we're talking about it i was writing down players that i thought could join the range goats i was thinking it'd be a happy home for like a victor dewitton or tommy gainey or Anthony Kim, God forbid. Like this, this is it's kind of a, a home for the needy, isn't it? Uh, anyway, I thought that was interesting. The 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 kind of the uh, the thing about playing in a member guest with Jay Monahan was very funny. He said it was off the record. I presume that was a joke. Um, but it does it does kind of um, it does kind of like make you realise that this kind of this sort of dividing golf is to an extent a phony war, isn't it? Like these people have had years and years playing together working together seeing each other at the same tour events they kind of live in the same area they, they, they hang out at the same private members clubs like a lot of what we see in the in the media i, I guess it's not the thin end of the wedge it's far from it it's kind of it, it's kind of a role being played out isn't it um, and i think that sort of is similar with McElroy's relationship with brooks kepka for example like there's a sort of depth to stuff that we don't see that it kind of does i think hopefully speak to a scenario that will get resolved just on a sort of personal level agreed <laughs> <laughs> you're just not into this kind of ethereal no, thinking just, are you you're not having it no i just like, you just you summed it up you summed it up well thank you right okay 
And then he had this thing about um, saying that he thought that Liv should get 10 spots in majors. Um, and I was trying to kind of do some maths about it. And then I gave up about what percentage of that is of a Liv field versus how, how if you applied that percentage to the PGA Tour, how many would get in. Um, one thing I did think is that if you said it was the top 10 on Liv um, plus those already exempt, there's an awful lot of major exemptions on Liv with people like Brooks, DJ, Cam Smith, Bryson, Reed, Kymer, Stenson, Phil and John Rahm are all exempt at all, some or if not all majors for some time to come. So if you had all of those exemptions plus the top 10, it's it's not it's not unfeasible. You'd end up with 15 to 20 live players in a major field. Um, it feels like quite a lot, like as in quite a big number when you've only got 48 people playing in any given week. Yeah, they've, they've, they've talked about this before. It's not going to happen. They're not going to... Too you're many. Not gonna, you're, not getting a, you're not getting 20% of the tour playing playing well, in majors unless you know being exempt or having qualifications unless they're otherwise unless they're otherwise um found another way to play in there anyway i am not being tricked into doing another live golf player breakdown after the after the team by team breakdown we did last year which i got roundly criticized for most notably by members of my own colleagues yeah you really did get stitched up there, didn't you? Because you were sort of playing, you were like the stooge. It was pretty funny. Uh, I'll tell you what he didn't talk about, which was the idea of playing live plus a PJ Tour schedule. I mean, perhaps it just because it didn't come up. But it does feel like that will is what will happen in the future. Is you'll just you'll be playing both circuits, basically. Yeah, I, um, I, well, I, I don't think there's any realistic prospect of that. Um, really? Uh, no, because let's assume, right, that uh, that everyone who stays on live is contracted to live. I still think that even if the PGA Tour, DP, Wilter and live come together, there'll still be a contract requirement within live to play live golf events. That's 14 events next year, right? That's 14 events. Um, and that tour is saying that it plans to expand right? So there'll be more events. Then you add in the four major championships, right? Um, assuming that there is some com- coming together of the various tours and live players get some sort of exemption. So some of those players are then going to be playing 18 events. I don't think they're playing a massive number of um, PGA Tour slash DP World Tour events on top of that. I don't think there is. I don't think, I mean, maybe you know better than I do. Maybe the, maybe the listeners do, but I don't think that the kind Everybody's of players frozen. that, maybe at the lower end, um, but at the top end, I don't see those players. I don't see DJ then going, right, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and play 10 times on the PGA Tour. I don't, hey, think, right. I don't think that's going to happen. I just think the direct, it feels like what you're going to end up with is kind of a team event season, which is kind of now, basically, or in the run-up to Christmas eight or 10 events, and then basically what you've got now on the PGA Tour. I, I think where it potentially gets messy, right, is if you've got a live player in the future who's trying to qualify for the Ryder Cup, who's contractually obliged to play, contractually obliged to play live events, right, 14 of mm. them or more, um, might not necessarily get into all the major championships, but say plays, plays the major championships and then has to play a minimum on the DP World Tour in order to, assuming that they don't change the rules, who knows what they're going to do now with John Rahm, um, but assuming that they don't change the rules, who then has to play a DP World Tour minimum to be to get in the criteria for the Ryder Cup. That's when it gets, I think, awkward. 
Yeah, although they definitely will change all that. I, I feel like we're heading towards resolution. And he, he said, like, Liv is definitely here to stay. And I think that is a consistent noise from people on all corners, is that Team Golf is here to stay in some in some way, shape or form. Um, to know, I just think I've come come back and listened to some of these interviews and got renewed positivity that at some stage over the next 12 months, we'll kind of have a much clearer idea about what's happening and it feels like it'll be pretty decent. It, it does feel to me, Tom, like, um, and, and I'm not saying that this is correct because there's still um, an awful lot of anger out there um, uh, with with the wider live slash Saudi operation. That It would be crass to suggest that that's suddenly gone away because... Um, because they now got this framework agreement and they're and they're working on a deal, but it does feel like a lot of the noise has disappeared. Basically. It does, yeah, it does. It, it's I'm not exactly saying that's right. Like. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's what it feels like. It does, yeah. Speaking of noise, it's time for another jingle. I think I want to finish up with our final regular feature, which is Rules Corner. So this is basically a weekly opportunity for Steve to make me look stupid. As most of you will know, he is a qualified rules official. And doesn't he love it? And doesn't he love reminding us of that? Uh, and I think he just sort of might mainly enjoys being written to. And his inbox has been kind of a sort of surrogate help desk for England golf rules department. So we get a lot of inquiries from people from all corners of the game. They're usually sort of quite sort of surreptitiously asking for a friend, aren't they, in, in inverted commas. But they're generally seeking clarity on a rules infraction that they've they've been part of um, in their regular golf. So in our rules corner, we'll see Steve, who is an actual ref, ask me a sort of pseudo rules, I've played golf for a long time, expert type of person, to see if I can apply the correct interpretation uh, of a rules query that's been sent to Steve. We can even keep score, can't we? We can have like a series winner. So what have you got first this could, up? This could get embarrassing for you, Tom. So yeah, we should definitely keep score. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be fantastic. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, another hot off the press rules decision. So this this comes from the brand new additional clarifications of the 2023 rules of golf. So um for those that don't know, uh, Rules of Golf are obviously updated every four years. They were updated again in January 2023. You, we've obviously uh, talked extensively about some of the changes. But then every three months, January, April, July, and October, um, there are additions or clarifications added uh, to the current Rules of Golf, and it gives the USGA and the RNA an opportunity to alter a rule of golf if there's something in there that's proving confusing obviously they get submissions from people um saying well what about this did you actually mean this rule to say this so every three months they have a look at the rules and they uh can do uh alterations to them and those alterations come into effect from the moment they are clarified so this is from the clarifications of the 2023 rules of golf updated on january the 4th tom it's absolutely like hot off the press. Um, and this is surrounding uh, ball in motion. So the question I'm going to ask you is this, right? You've got two balls on the putting green. 
Both balls are played on the putting green at the same time. The ball played from the putting green hits another ball in motion on the putting green. So think about it. Two balls in motion hit each other on the putting green. What happens? What do you do? Are you both playing the same group? Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of things here. So you've got ready golf now. So there's no kind of, um, there is no kind of order of place in, in the old, in the olden days, then it would have been obviously the person furthest away who effectively had right of way, but that's not a thing anymore. I have had a similar thing where, um, I was playing golf on my stag do when my uncle Ron, uh, hit a three wood from like 300 yards downwind at Dornock that ended up rolling onto the putting green and then hitting the ball of uh, someone else who's playing after they'd put it, if you see what I mean. So it like sort of like snookered it off like you would in billiards or whatever. And that's sort of the scenario you're describing apart from both players are on the green. So two balls collide after they've been putted. Just feels like an accident. It's either going to be play it as it lies from wherever they've bounced off to or replay the shot under no penalty. So if your ball is on the putting green and I hit my shot from the fairway and we're in the same group and I hit your ball and someone witnesses, we replay your, we replay place your ball, but I just play mine as it lies. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to give you a little bit of a hint here. The putting green, the fact that both yeah, yeah. balls are on the putting green is significant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you both players replay their shots under no penalty. Correct. Um, a ball yes. is. A, I'm going to tell you exactly what the um, a, what the new clarification says. A ball is a movable obstruction, including when it is in motion on the putting green. If it is known or virtually certain that a player's ball in motion played from the putting green accidentally hits another ball in motion on the putting green, the player must replay the stroke by playing the original ball or another ball from the spot where that stroke is made. Now, one of the reasons this is interesting is because if you hit a ball from the putting green and it hits a ball at rest, right, then that's a penalty. It's a two-shot penalty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, it's, so what saves you here is the fact that both of the balls are in motion at the same time. Um, so the, 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 because, because the ball played from the putting green hits another ball in motion on the putting green. That's, that's the thing that's really interesting about it. And yeah, you must replay the stroke. It's good that, and as I can see that coming up, particularly in this world of ready golf. So that's it. One nil to me in rules corner. We will keep score given that I'm now winning. Uh, and that's it. We've, we've I'm going to tell you, Tom, of... I'm going to tell you, it's going to get a bit more difficult from now on. I've given you a nice oh, yeah. opener for January. It's sort of that is within your gift, isn't it? So I've got to take my victories where I get them. Uh, but we've reached the end of episode one. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back each and every week for the next five. And we've got a lot lined up. So next week, we've got a deep dive into courses where we played in 2023. Courses you've never heard of. Those that we really want to get to in 2024. What makes a golf course good? Uh, how much is too much in terms of what you should be paying? And we're going to be joined by a pair of absolute golf course rankers. Uh, so NCG's top 100, Dan Murphy, uh, and a chap from Unique Courses. So it should be good. Everyone who doesn't like a ramble on about golf courses, we certainly do. Uh, week after, we're going to have a very special live from the Orlando Trade Show, deep dive into some of the new gear for this year. We've got a ton of more player interviews and special guests lined up. Uh, and we'll end the series by speaking to well, perhaps, I think, one of the most popular characters in golf, which we're really looking forward to sharing with you. So please give us a subscribe, write in, let us know what you think. Do keep listening. 
See you later, Steve. And I really, really hope you get better soon. I really do. Cheers, Tom. Um, thank God for muting Mike. That's all I can say. Otherwise, people would have had a coughing fit throughout the hour and half of this podcast. Well done. Cheers. <laughs>